Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. All right, welcome. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Staub. We're two attorneys here with Pasha Law, practicing in California, Texas, New York, and Illinois. And this is our podcast, Legally Sound Smart Business, where we cover business in the news with our legal twist. And today we have a zinger. <laughs> well, it's always, you know, we, how many, we've been doing this a, f- a few years now, what, three yeah. or four years? and Like 1,300 years. Be- so. Before podcasts were even around. Um, well, if you look at when the patents were filed yeah, for these, like, they not. But, yeah. <laughs> but the, my point being, at, at the beginning of every year, we always have new laws that we talk about. And I don't know, you tell me, it seems like a kind of a off year. There wasn't a lot of new laws that were that interesting or... Or fun, but maybe, yeah, maybe I'm just I mean, there, there was at the right new, spots. I mean, California, of course, always has new employment laws every single year, so it almost goes without saying. I mean, but this year was a you're, you're right; it was a little bit more tame. I mean, there's some minimum wage increases and things like that, and we may cover some of the other issues in other episodes. But you're right; it was um, it's kind of an off off year, maybe makes our job easier, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, let's uh, let's talk about. Like you mentioned, California, there's always some new laws in place. Let's talk about one in particular. I think this is pretty interesting, even though there's been some some cases in the past where this new law has, I mean, I guess it was cre- partially created from those cases. But what we're talking about is the relationship between a general contractor or the, the prime contractor and subcontractors, and specifically the subcontractors of the subcontractor, if that makes sense. Or maybe yeah. you have a better way of putting the, it. The, they call it tiers. So tier. I guess it would be the second tier. But of course, this law, new law applies to all tiers below the subcontractor. So so basically what this is saying, and this is the, the big change here is for the general contractor in this, this situation. But essentially, this new law, which is codified in the labor code now here in California, is that direct contractors are liable for the debts of subcontractors at any tier owed to wage claimants. So basically, I think the easiest example is a subcontractor is not paying their employees or subcontractors. They're now the general contractor. So the top is going to be responsible, uh, basically jointly jointly liable for all the you know, decisions that these subcontractors make in, in terms of payment of wages or fringe benefits, other benefits, things of that nature. So Pretty uh, pretty big increase in responsibility for general contractors. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is definitely a change in practice. But I do have to say it was always a hidden risk when it comes to, and I'm sorry, when we're talking about general contracting, of course, we're talking about construction. We're, talking, we're not talking about just contracting in general. We're not talking about outsourcing when we're saying subcontracting. So it is in, in, in the industry of labor and of housing and buildings and construction and of that nature. So right. just so we understand what we're talking about here. But even in most construction contracts, the standard ones, even the ones that are custom made by attorneys or, or what have you, they'll often have provisions which will say something to the effect of the general contractor will be requiring the subcontractor to pay, to be responsible for, and to pay all the wages for those employees. And it's kind of an obvious thing. It's like, okay, if I'm contracting you out, you're responsible for your expenses and I'm responsible for mine. So why would I, you know, you're responsible for that. 
But the yeah. reason this is an issue is because around the country, including California, there have been many arguments where employees aren't being paid by the subcontractor, and so they skip a level to the general contractor and try to administer their claims against the GC. And in some cases, they actually have been successful, usually very narrow exceptions to this. But basically what this law has done is, is taken away these narrow exceptions and just made it very blanketly wide. Right. And, you know, it's we've obviously worked with, with clients on the commercial side of this, but I mean, I, I'm sure it's the same for you. I've also had my experience and my own personal level with some residential contractors. I mean, all these, or, or I should say all, but almost all of these arrangements are set up the same way. You have the general contractor that, you know, does the bidding, gets the project, and then they subcontract everything out. Well, now, like you're saying, this GC, not only do they have to basically manage the project and, and be on that, the, now they have to have oversight over all of these workers, which anyone who's been in it firsthand can definitely attest to the fact that there's so many moving parts on any of these projects that it's it's so difficult for the GCs to even <laughs> monitor and supervise everything, let alone off-site and how the subcontractors are, are handling payment of wages and all that. And I guess if the ultimate client or the owner isn't paying things on time and, you know, it becomes an issue too, and it trickles down. It, it really just causes problems all around. So, I mean, this is, uh, you know, we keep talking about this, but it really is going to be a heightened, a heightened burden for, for GCs because now, you know, instead of having to trouble themselves with looking over things just on the actual site, it, it goes off the site now and they have to pay attention to that. And and there there's always been this pressure on GCs to make sure their subcontractors are paid. There's plenty of laws about it. There's a lot of contractual provisions that cover this because, you know, this is the nature of the industry. Subcontract, you know, it's all about cash flow and and figuring that out. And subcontractors go unpaid for a while. And that's right. frankly just not uncommon. And it's it goes in tandem with how construction loans work, of how GCs have to make draws to pay those off or even the homeowner and, and all these different factors that are involved. And it has kind of created this environment where everything is putting on the GC. And depending upon the nature, I mean, some of these GCs are really passive in, in how involved they are in the project. In fact, it's not uncommon for a company that has the prime contract, which would be considered the GC, to hire a, basically another GC to actually do the work. And they're just getting that, you know, um, that cut off the top. And, and so that's when you have these multiple, multiple layers that can really get complicated. And, and so if, if you ever have a problem, whether it's a construction defect or what have you, there ends up being tons and tons of defendants just because of how many different entities are actually involved in one particular project. So, of course, anyone familiar with the construction industry, they're familiar with this. But one thing that I think is not commonly known is this aspect of, of how GCs have been held responsible in the past. And I think that gives you an, it will help us give an idea of why California has now expanded this. So there's been two instances where this has happened. One is where the subcon, or I should say the, the wage earner that hasn't been unpaid, and this can happen if the subcontractor goes out of business or what have you, or doesn't get paid, is they'll somehow be able to prove that there's some kind of joint employer relationship, that really they're employed under the subcontractor, but they're also employed by the GC. And so then it's a matter of applying the factors in, the, in that particular federal or state standard as to what a joint employer relationship is. So that's one. 
The second is not dissimilar from one, but uh, more specific to California, is that if the subcontractor is unlicensed, then basically courts have said, well, basically that means that since you know you can't operate without a license, that you're the employee of the of the general contractor, and so something similar to a joint employer relationship. And in that case, in that case also, the GC has been found to be liable for those unpaid wages. Right. And so, real quick, let let me uh, touch on a couple of the specific pieces, some of the details on this, and then we can get into. Well, we'll figure out if it affects you as a business owner, and then we can talk about how to how to approach it. So. Just to cover here, we're talking we we we're talking about construction broadly speaking construction contracts or I think was it work improvement is how it's technically described um, only applies to contracts that have entered into after basically starting in 2018 so it doesn't apply retroactively and it deals with performing private work so nothing for the the state or city or something like that in the state of California and it's a one-year statute of limitations, so you know there's one year to have one of these claims brought up. And I, th- I think a key piece too, this doesn't give the so the ultimate. Let's say you're, you're one of the individuals who isn't getting who, who don't have their wages paid on time. This new law doesn't give them the right to then file suit against the general contractor. The law gives the the labor commissioner and the joint labor management corporation committee to bring an action in civil court against the GC. I think that's a very important distinction. I think it is, if they really wanted to open up the floodgates to liability of the GCs, then they would allow some kind of private action. But by going through that labor commissioner step or that kind of middleman, what it does is it kind of slows everything down and really only gives rise to things that are a little bit more egregious so that you're not getting onesies and twosies you're getting instances where there might be some, you know, real abuse in this area. So that is definitely a, a significant difference than if there was a private action. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure that's not gonna. It's not gonna be a hundred percent, but I, I think that's probably a good, a good way they've implemented this rule is that it has to go through. Basically, they can kind of labor commissioner can kind of filter out some claims that it might be more frivolous. Um, you know, again, it's not gonna give. 100% success rate to these people that weren't paid their wages, but I, I think that's a good good funnel to have. Absolutely. So let's talk about what GCs can do, whether or even subcontractors, because I think it this applies to both. What they can do to adjust to this new law. Well, so in the, let's let's start how they probably or how they probably should have set things up before. So if you're the GC what you probably had in your previous, well, <laughs> let me preface it by saying, having seen many of the, not with our clients, of course, but having seen some of these in action, I don't think there's always a lot of agreements in place or contracts in place between GCs and subs, but yeah. let's assume that there is, or there was. In the past, what they probably had is an identification clause in there favoring the GC, basically that if, we're, if there's any claim, one of which being these wage claims by the different tiers of the sub, then the subcontractor is the one that's responsible for that. Now, what we have in place is this new law that makes the GCs jointly responsible. So what can they do now? What what language can they insert in their contracts to, to change, you know, to best, to put them in the best position, basically, because they can't out, flat out eliminate it. Yeah, because indemnification provisions, was which what, Matt was referring, 
it's decent if the subcontractor is has money. If True. if they're not paying their employees and in a very extreme circumstance they're going out of business or whatever and the employees are, have to go somewhere, right? And so they have to find somebody with money. And so that indemnification clause is kind of worthless if all of a sudden there's like 3 or 4 months of worth of, you know, wage claims, right? And so there is this concept and suggestion that, you know, you need to put in provisions that allow you to have some transparency as to what is being paid to workers. So, I mean, there's different things. You can get payroll records. You can get a little bit more transparency as to, or a little more requirements. For example, you can actually have your payment to them be required to have them show you certain records, or you can have certain percentage holdback. I mean, there's different things like that. But I think from, from my perspective is that, I mean, this, you you have to know who you're working with and the the trust level because anything you put in these agreements and and transparency there's always very a lot of ways to hide it's not like you're going to run their payroll for for you for them right and so that that was my suggestion so (laughs) i mean i i even thought about that but like how practical is that right i mean because obviously the subcontractor has multiple jobs right you're (laughs) you're not the only person that he's they're working for so yeah, no, it's. Uh, I, I think you're exactly right. It, it's more the adjustment that needs to be made is the GC is just enhanced monitoring of the subs and not in the sense how we spoke about before of the actual work being performed, but talking about the, the back office stuff. And that's that's the change that needs to be made for GCs. Now, you know, one thing, I mean, one thing I was thinking about too after we mentioned it earlier was this doesn't give the parties that aren't being paid, these workers, it doesn't give them a claim against the GCs, at least in the law. But what about the situation where the one of these individuals claims they're a statutory employee instead of tiered down independent contractor? I guess in that sense, they could still have a claim possibly against the GC, wouldn't you yeah, think? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see anything in the code that eliminates that kind of um, claim. Uh, and so, like, if they're a, and so, you're, it's a good point. So, if they're able to prove that they're a statutory em- employee from other some other independent legal argument, then I think that definitely is a possibility. Another another thing I thought of too is, and this might be already in m- many agreements, is especially when you have multiple subcontractors or multiple tiers, you'll want to make sure that whatever is in the prime contract is flown through to the subcontractors, and so. The same way, whatever you have with the between the GC and the subcontractor, you should also require the subcontractor to flow those provisions down through to multiple tiers. And you know, there's different things. You know, having an approval process for any subcontractor's second tier or third tier that they use, things of that nature. If, if you're monitoring payroll for one subcontractor, that means you need to monitor for the sub subs or the second, third, etc. tiers. And and so you can see how this can be, you know, for a small project kind of, you know, pretty burdensome. But of yeah. course, a smaller project will have, you know, a less of a, lesser of a liability. Here's a question that I'm going to ask you and you tell me what you think. Do you think this new law is going to lead to option A, more contracts in be- between the GCs and the subs, less or the same amount? I have my own thoughts on it, but I wanted to see what your take I, was. Well, my instinct is, is that in general, GCs tend to it's such a highly regulated industry already, yet it's still pretty loosey-goosey in some ways as well. 
that it's going to take it's going to take years for there to be any kind of adjustments, if any. So I would say, you know, no change. (laughs) Well, it obviously depends on the project, too. Right. I mean, if we're talking about, you know, these companies that are building these huge high rises, they have some stuff in place. But if we're talking about, you know, residential work where I'm doing a kitchen remodel and, you know, I'm going to bring in my electrical guy and my cabinet person and all that. So I I think you're right. It's I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if many people even in this area that work in this area even know about this new law. I guess the GCs especially, but really all, all parties. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, in fact, I know for a fact, some of our, you know, contacts aren't necessarily familiar with it. They may have heard something somewhere else, but where it actually affects them, uh, I think that's left open. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's it. I think we covered that pretty nicely and yeah, definitely. This works nicely with our uh, EB-5 podcasts. If you combine the two, you can really uh, strengthen up your construction law rules. So That's true. A nice, nice uh, reoccurring theme there. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Yep. Keep it sound. Keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stop. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.